0: Our scripture reading this morning is back again into the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. This morning we'll be reading verses 9 through verse 20. Colossians 1 verses 9 through 20. Hear the breathed out word of God to us this morning. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's again bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. For its guiding truth, for its hope, for its comfort, and for its assurance. For its building us up and strengthening us in our walk with Christ. And Father, for the blessing that it gives to us the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, all God's people say Amen. As we reflect upon these words this morning, I I recall ninth grade at Westside Christian School. English class. There are probably some listening to the sound of my voice or watching this video uh, this morning who know the person of whom I'm going to speak. Ninth-grade English at Westside Christian was taught by a woman by the name of Esther Clumperins. It was Esther's goal in life that we knew the English language. We uh, took down notes upon notes upon notes about the various parts of grammar. And then there were the diagramming of sentences where we were called upon to make these lines upon our page and make lines that would give to us the noun and the verb, the adverbial clauses, the prepositional clauses, the the adjectives, uh, all that would be included in that diagram. I think she sometimes took pleasure in making those sentences sometimes long and difficult rather than short and sweet. And you say, Well, why are you bringing that diagramming of sentences back up from ninth grade? Because that which I read to you this morning from God's Word is one sentence in Greek, it is 200. And 18 words. Can you imagine what the diagram of that particular sentence would look like? There would be lines all over here. We need sheets and sheets and sheets of paper to figure out where all this went. Paul is often accused of uh, giving to us a lot of run on sentences. But if we stop and reflect, it's really not the Apostle Paul, is it? It's the Holy Spirit who is, as it were, going on and on and on. And in this particular passage, how beautiful to go on and on and on about the truths that we find in those verses that are before us this morning. Today, we want to only take half of those, uh, of that sentence. The first uh, hundred and, I think it's 806 words in the Greek that we'll be looking at. First of all, we'll note that this is a prayer for sanctification. Secondly, that it's a prayer to be thankful. And then thirdly, Looking at the last several verses that I read, it is a prayer of praise. First of all, then, it's a, a prayer of sanctification. One way to speak about that is this is Paul's prayer for the, the church at Colossa to grow spiritually. In essence, that's what sanctification is. It's the work of the Holy Spirit whereby he causes us to grow spiritually. And that's what Paul is praying for. That's what he is asking for. And so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you. Praying what? Well, praying one, that you would be filled with knowledge. Now this is not a knowledge of information. This is not that Paul is praying, I I pray that the 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 church at Colossa would gain more and more facts about God and about Christ. Uh, This is not the acquiring of factual knowledge. This is not the the bringing in of more and more data and more and more information. Nor is this uh, a knowledge uh, in a secretive way, the way that the false teachers of Gnosticism uh, are challenging the church Uh, of that day and as we go through the book of Colossians that will become more and more of a prominent part this this is not that secretive knowledge where only some have like the secret codes and know the secret numbers and others are left out it's not that Paul is saying oh I hope you get to know the the secretive knowledge about God Paul would probably say all that you need for life and godliness is before you. It's not that the kingdom of God is full of these secrets that need to be discovered. No, this knowledge is is more of an understanding. It's the wisdom aspect. It's knowing not only how to apply it, but it is having the experiential knowledge. Paul's prayer is basically that the church at Colossa would become more and more and more aware of God. That, that they would experience God's presence in their daily lives. An understanding of God's grace. An understanding of God's love for us in Christ so that it transforms, so that it changes their lives. This is Paul's prayer. That's what sanctification is it's that growing in that kind of knowledge, that growing in that kind of holiness, a getting closer and closer to God. Not because of more information, but because we experience. more and more in our lives. We come to know the faithfulness of God. We come to know the love of God. We come to know the grace of God because we experience it in our lives. But this prayer of Paul, see, now has two parts. Think of how you diagram this, right? Right? To cease to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This walking worthily is our high calling in Christ. This is what we are called to, to live as believers in this world. So Paul's prayer is that we grow in this knowledge, in this understanding of what God has done. Because as we grow in that understanding, we will live more and more and more to his praise, more and more to his glory. We will live more and more holy lives, our daily lives, our daily walk, our daily steps, our daily decisions, our daily actions, our daily words will be lived in a way that says, yes, Lord, I know you have redeemed me. I know you have saved me. And I desire to live in a way that honors you for that which you have done for me. Now, Paul gives us then four ways as to how that is done. How do we live, verse 10, this worthy life? So follow with me in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We want to live life every day. So that at the end of the day, God is pleased with the way that we lived. that God is pleased with the way we use the day. I think most of us would, would admit, at least we should admit, that we don't always do that. that oftentimes we don't live life thinking of how to please God. We often live life thinking of how to please ourselves. The struggle of that old man of sin that is within us, even though there is the the new man of Christ that is warring against that. So we acknowledge it. We we acknowledge that we are sinful. We acknowledge that we've lived too much for self. But we have this passion, this desire to please God the Lord the more we know God the more we love God the greater our desire to follow him to obey him to please him living a life worthy of the Lord means that we are living to please the Lord secondly that we are living life To bear fruit. Verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit. Jesus. John chapter 15. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me, you bear fruit. Much fruit. What, are, what is that fruit? Good works. That which pleases God. Paul's desire is that this church at Colossa bear much fruit. It's not that they aren't bearing fruit. We looked at that last Lord's Day. They are. But his prayer, you see, is that we don't say stagnant, we don't say it stay in the same spot, but we continue to grow and grow and grow. So Paul is saying we bear much fruit of good works. Ephesians chapter 2, 10 For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why has God, God brought us out of our sin into Christ? What is is God's purpose in that? God's purpose in that is that we do good works. We do that which is pleasing to him. We do that which honors him. We do that which glorifies him. That's the good fruit. That's the good works that you and I are called. Of course, those good works... As Christ said in John chapter 15, don't arise out of ourselves. It's not our own innate goodness. No, it's Christ living in us. So as a Christian, Christ lives in you, Christ lives in me. Therefore, we bear fruit, the fruit of good works. Even as Jesus and Paul had described it for us there. But then, this living worthy is not only pleasing God, it's not only bearing fruit. Hang with me there in verse 10. But it's also increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, here it's kind of interesting. Paul prayed for an increase of knowledge. Now, Paul says, to live a life worthy of God, There is also the understanding of increased knowledge of God. We sing that chorus, don't we? That, That hymn, knowing you. Knowing you. Knowing you, Jesus. This is the greatest thing in life. How do we live a life worthy of the Lord? By Desiring to know Christ deeper and deeper and deeper. That, that we don't just go, hey, I know Jesus as my Savior. I walked an aisle a number of years ago and that's all I need. That's not the mark of a Christian. Mark of a Christian isn't, well, you know, I, I went through catechism in my church. I learned all those answers. I gave all those answers to the elders. I made my profession of faith. Now I can just coast on through. That's not the mark of a Christian. Well, you know, Pastor Bob explains the Bible uh, uh, Sunday mornings. Uh, that, that's, you know, that, that's probably enough for me. Oh, there's that that hunger, that desire to know Jesus more. To see all that Christ has told us. And to deepen it, continue to deepen it. To continue to plunge the depth of creation. Not to come up with new theories and new ideas but to plunge into creation so that we have a deeper understanding of what God in Christ has done. That we plunge into the cross so that we have a deeper understanding of Christ's love. That we plunge into the history of God's word so we see the providential way. That God has indeed led and guided his people in the past so that we can hold on to that claim for today. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, and may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, strengthened in all power. Philippians 4.13, Paul, Paul will write, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is what Paul is praying for this church at Colossa, that they might be strengthened in Christ. But the strengthening here, Paul gives two things too. For all endurance and patience with joy. To endure with joy and to be patient with joy. This is how you demonstrate your strength in his glorious might. This is how you demonstrate your power as a believer in Christ. This is our witness to the world at this particular time, in this particular circumstance. What? That we endure with joy. That we are patient with joy. That we sound like Nehemiah of old, these words from Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is my strength. This virus, while robbing us of some things, cannot, does not, will not rob us of our joy in Christ. And Paul's prayer, not only for the church at Colossus, the prayer for us today then is this. Lord, make us strong strengthen us Lord so that we live a life worthy of you strengthen us with the power the power to endure with joy the power to be patient with joy this is not the, a power that says in the face of this virus well you know we're Christ's people and You know, we can do anything we want because Christ won't let this virus infect us. That's not the strength that Paul is talking of here. The strength is that in spite of the suffering, in spite of the difficulty, in spite of the problems, that we have the joy of the Lord, enduring and being patient. But this is also a prayer to be thankful. Right? Our second major point for those of you following the outline. A prayer of thanksgiving. Verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father. Now why should the Church of Colossae? why should you and I be thankful? Thankful to the Father. Well, Paul lists for us three reasons in in this passage. What are the three reasons Paul gives? One, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. That God has qualified you for our inheritance of eternal salvation. We didn't earn it. God qualified us. We did not earn it. We are not born into this inheritance. We didn't apply for it and get it. God's love enables it. Christ's blood provides it. And the Spirit's work accomplishes it it is all of God he qualifies us for the inheritance it's not our birthright it's not our standing in the community it's not our educational degrees it's not our bank accounts. it's nothing about us God qualifies us his love Christ's blood and the Spirit's work is what gives to us the glorious inheritance of our eternal salvation. Why else be thankful? As if that were not enough. Not only has He qualified you, verse 13, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness. The word here, delivered, means more the idea of rescued. We were hopelessly lost. Without God qualifying us, there was no way we would ever receive eternal salvation. We were hopelessly lost. We weren't even looking for salvation. We were running the other way. We were alienated from God. We were, by nature, objects of wrath. We were, by nature, God's enemies. Not because we were made so, but because we desired to be that. And Yet God rescued us. See, the picture is not that we're somehow drowning, that, that we've fallen off the boat and we're drowning and God throws us the life preserver and, and we swim over to the life preserver and we put ourselves in the life preserver and then God hauls us in. Now, you know what happens? The life preserver gets thrown to us. You know what we do? We swim away from it. We swim away from it because we don't want anything to do with that life preserver that comes from God. We go the other way. You know what God does? God doesn't take the life preserver and throw it in. You know what God does? Because he knows we'd run away. He knows we, by nature, would never accept the offer of salvation. You know what God does? He doesn't throw us a life preserver. He jumps in the water and swims to us and takes us to safety. He delivered us. God's grace, God's mercy, God's compassion, God's goodness. He jumps into this world in the person of His Son and rescues us. He jumps in from the holiness and glory and sinlessness where He is worshipped and glorified by multitudes of angels, and he comes to this earth. He jumps into the darkness of this world. It's coldness. And rescues us. He delivers us from ourselves. Giving thanks, verse 12, to the Father. Why? He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. We've been transferred. Now, for the people at Colossae, that had a special meaning. Because you see, Years and years and years, in those BC years in which I told you the church or the the city of Colossa was begun, one of those Persian rulers had made the decision that he was going to take a number of his subjects that live there in the area around Babylon, and he was going to move them to Colossae. He took 2,000 Jewish families. He picked them up, as it were, told them they had to move, Move them to Colossa and said, Now start life all over again here. He transferred them. So when Paul uses this word to this group of believers there in Colossa, they understand fully well how this works. Greeks did it, Romans did it, the Persians did it, the Assyrians did it. They transferred them. But that transfer by earthly kings and rulers generally was taking you from a position of liberty into a position of slavery. It it was taking your freedom to live and move in the place where, where you existed into a place where you are now secluded, where you are now confined, where where all that you had was basically taken away and now you must start over. Some of you are perhaps thinking it's somewhat like today then. You might be thinking that way. But you see, here, it's completely the opposite. Here, the transfer is not... From liberty to slavery it's from slavery to liberty it's from the slavery to sin it's to the bondage to Satan it's that fear of death it's that judgment of hell it's that condemnation of our sins but God delivers us God qualifies us to no longer be a member of that kingdom of darkness but God in his grace transfers us into the kingdom of his son into the kingdom of Liberty in the kingdom of freedom in the kingdom where there is redemption and where there is forgiveness verse 14 in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. It is freedom in Christ. It is freedom from fear. It is freedom from judgment. It is freedom from condemnation. It is freedom from death. It is freedom from hell. God transfers you and I into the kingdom of His Son. Thanks be to God. But now notice, Paul's still in mid-sentence, right? We're only halfway done with the sentence. Because now what does Paul need to qualify? Paul needs to tell us what that kingdom is like. And in order to understand the kingdom that we've been transferred into, we need to understand whose kingdom it is. It is the kingdom of Christ. It is Christ's kingdom that you and I, by God's grace, that he has qualified us and delivered us and transferred us into. It is Christ's kingdom. And who is Christ? Oh, Oh, here we go. Who is Christ? Starting at verse 15. These words are going to appear at the bottom of the screen even as I read them. And, And if you want to read them along with me, feel free to do so. Whose kingdom? It's Christ's kingdom. And who is Christ? Who is He? He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning is how we live the resurrection as members, as citizens of the glorious kingdom of Christ. At this time, we'll be singing again a hymn we sang last, Lord's Day, but it seems very appropriate to sing it again. All hail the power of Jesus' name.